you rather have Dirty Talk You? Nick Nolte or Jimmy Stewart? <laughs> well, I'm... I just got out of the shower. <laughs> I'm only wearing a towel. <laughs> mm. Yeah, there's really no way to not. Like, it just sounds wholesome coming out of J- Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. <laughs> he must get by on charm then, because I just can't imagine him as a quote-unquote notorious sex pot. <laughs> uh, yeah, what's that... Uh... There's like a checklist of things. It's like it's somewhere online. It's like you know a list of things that you know that you're in a Hitchcock movie if, mm-hmm. and one is uh, if you're an older, unattractive man dating a blonde bombshell and you hate each other. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, yeah, you know you you watch you know Rear Window and you're like, in what world? <laughs> Does a Jimmy Stewart end up with a Grace Kelly? Right, yeah. And isn't she wearing, like, crazy designer fashions throughout the whole movie? And he could not give a fuck about her mm. in that movie. He is so not interested in anything. And she's doing everything she yeah. can, including wearing designer fashion. Like, hey! <laughs> yeah, he's way more interested in his neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever they got going on. <laughs> Well, welcome to X-Rated. Yeah, I'm Ryan Whedon. I'm Matt Fisher. This is a podcast uh, by two guys who dated ten years ago. For a couple of weeks. And uh, then we took a ten-year break. <laughs> and now we get together and talk about movies once a week. Do you think if we put together all the time that we've spent for this podcast, both like the short time before we hit record and like the time we spend afterwards... Mm-hmm. Do you think if we added all those up, it would be greater than the actual amount of time that we dated? It's quite possible, yeah. If not more, it's pretty close. I would also... I, I mean, we definitely text more than I think we did back then, because back then, I, I'm sure I still had, like, my shitty little Nokia. Oh, yeah. Like, that was, like, still the infancy of texting mm-hmm. to instantly date date us and <laughs> make us seem ancient. Yeah, texting, you used to have to hit, you know... A, B, C, yeah. A. <laughs> yeah. And then P, Q, R. I remember my phone had a predictive text that was not very good, and every time I'd type in nope, N-O-P-E, it would um, assume I was trying to type the word NORF, <laughs> and, uh, which comes up all the time. I mean, it was super useful. <laughs> so after a while, I just I stopped correcting it, and just if anybody got a text from me where I was saying nope. They they got north. They know what it meant. That's uh, fine. Thank God we've evolved past that. Like you know, otherwise we'd still be doing like you know C U L A T E R. Like thank God we've gotten past that. Like it, it, we needed you don't it. Type that anymore. <laughs> we needed it for a short period of time there, but we've evolved past that. I also like texting because it's less uh, invasive. Mm-hmm. It's less, you called me last night. And I was like, did somebody die? <laughs> They better have. It's weird, isn't it, how that works? Yeah, I thought that it was like an emergency. I really only talk on the phone with my parents anymore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I rarely have... If, nowadays, if I have to relay a lot of information, I just send an email. Uh, if it's going to be longer... If it's something that I feel like is longer than a text message, I'll just send an email. If I have to relay a lot of information, I will cease contact with you. <laughs> <laughs> like, not worth it anymore? This is not worth our friendship. <laughs> 
I'm just happier in solitude. Good to know. Good so. to know. Keep it in bite-sized chunks. <laughs> yeah. My questions. If our friendship cannot be contained in le- in more than a tweet, <laughs> then I am not interested. Uh, I watched a movie called Streetwise, or a documentary called Streetwise. Okay. Uh, it's from like 1984, mm-hmm. and it's about homeless youth in Seattle. Oh man, I've never even heard of this. Uh, it's really good. It's really good. It's sort of like, uh, did you ever see Paris is Burning? Oh yeah. It's like that, but instead of like, with Paris, Paris is Burning, it feels like you have like an invite to some secret underground club. Mm-hmm. This is like a cry for help for people. It's like these kids, like even when they don't mention it explicitly, it's like, oh, these kids clearly come from like broken homes or like, you know, some form of instability or abuse. Yeah. Because um, like you watch them and it's like, they're all like intelligent and bright and like aware. It's just their expectations for life have been so lowered mm-hmm. that, you know, scrounging for trash isn't, they don't see it as degrading or, or debasing or anything like that. Like for them, they're just like, oh, this is fine. This is how we get food. This is what we got to do. Wow. Uh, but yeah, it was just crazy because, you know, I felt kind of like Kyle McLaughlin Blue Velvet where it's like, you know, I've lived in you know, Seattle proper for over 13 years now. Mm-hmm. And obviously we have homeless people here, but, you know, I just walk past them most yeah. of the time. Who who made it? Who directed it? Someone I'd never heard of before. Hmm. Wow. Like they, and they didn't really go on to do anything else. 84, huh? Yeah. Uh, but I was uh, watching it while breaking down some old moving, moving boxes. Okay. Uh, and I was using my keys because I had used my scissors to cut open a packet of meat mm-hmm. and it got meat juice all over it. So I had them running oh. in the dishwasher uh-huh. and really keys work just as well on packing tape right? as scissors. I feel like as long as you got like a good, like a car key or something like that. Yeah. They cut through most tape, but maybe that's a function of uh, like a part of feature for them. Cause like if you've got all your knives and scissors packed away, Oh, you need yeah. to bust in there. Yeah. They, they figure you can just use your keys. Well, there's some tape that has like a little strand. I don't know. It's like a string or something. Right. That makes it harder to cut through. But I found that the, that those types of tape, they peel off easier. And that's still considered packing tape. Yeah. And there's like the clear type of tape that's a packing tape. But then there's also like the masking tape that's a packing tape. Hmm. Masking tape is definitely easier to cut through. And there's like the paper kind, too. Yeah, I don't use the paper kind. I don't know. I'm, I found that it never really meets my needs. As yeah, far as I've always goes. just used the plastic kind. I wonder why they make paper tape. <sighs> maybe maybe paper tape has less residue that it leaves on stuff. So, you know, mm. you know if you're taking something other than a box mm-hmm. and you're concerned about what it's leaving behind... I wonder if there's, like, various levels of, you know, stickiness slash residue leaving that tape, different types of tape have. If, if there's, like, a scale, you know? Mm, 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 mm. Uh, yeah, probably. I mean, this is definitely a question to lob over to the, the 3M people. So if there's anybody who works at 3M who's listening, we'd love to get your feedback on this. 
Yeah, if we could get, like, the Mythbusters in here. <clears throat> it's interesting that you brought this up, because we have a listener who wrote in and on our email and said that they really loved our tape conversation from Tampopo, which I thought was weird. <laughs> no one loved that conversation. <laughs> Apparently this one did, and uh, I don't know. I mean, I feel like maybe we should send them a roll of tape or something that we've autographed. <laughs> If they're bold enough to uh, give us their address in email, in, in an email, I will gladly pay the postage and expense out the cost of the tape, mm-hmm. and I will send them a roll of tape myself. I would out even of pocket. I would even let them choose which what type of tape we send. <sighs> what if they choose some like top tier tape? I mean, top tier tape can't be. That expensive. There's got to be an industrial tape of some sort. Oh, God. No. Oh, the shipping on that's going to be murder. <laughs> well, we'll see. If they do the research, then they earned it. Exactly. I'll write them back. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Okay, yeah, we'll see. They might just appreciate that we're broaching the subject and want not want anything in return. Yeah. Yeah. X-rated. Not just You're for movie buffs. <laughs> Tape aficionados, welcome as well. Well, would you would you like to start discussing the movie for this week? Yeah. What did we watch this week? We watched one of Ryan's all-time favorite movies. Yeah? The Brave Little Toaster. Oh. Yeah, it's from 1987. Sure. Directed by Jerry Reese. Whoever that is. Uh, we'll get into that. Okay. Uh, I, before I launch into this, I mean, it's no question that I love this movie. I want to know, A, do you remember this movie at all? Like, had you seen it as a child? <clears throat> and B, if not, or either way, what, what, what are your impressions of that? So... I wasn't sure going into it if I had seen it or not, because if I had it been such a long time, it would have been within a couple of years of its release. Mm-hmm. So that's putting me in like the five, six-year-old range. Mm-hmm. Uh, so going into it, yeah, I, I wasn't quite sure. Watching it, I remembered feelings that I had. Oh, okay. From originally watching it, but I didn't remember any specific instance. Okay. So, uh, when the radio started talking, I was like, that's John Lovitz. Right. And I just remembered that because at the time, like, my dad watched SNL every Saturday. Oh, okay. And so I, I was sort of passingly familiar with who John Lovitz was when I initially saw this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it wasn't that, like, I immediately identified the voice as John Lovitz. It was like, I know that's John Lovitz because I remember... My dad pointed that out when I watched it. Okay. Um, And there was a couple other things. Like, uh, when I was a kid, I remember being really sort of, I don't want to say scared, but maybe like a little heartbroken or, I don't know what the good term is, when the air conditioning sort of blows out. Oh, yeah. Poor air conditioner. 
I remember thinking that that was really... I, yeah, I, it's something between scary and heartbreaking. Like, I, I don't know what the term is, but it was like... There's a lot that happens in that little moment because he, like, gets angry, blows up, and then everybody's sad and feels bad that they forced yeah. him to do that. Yeah. Or drove him to that to that breaking point. I just Yeah, I just remember watching it as a kid that... Yeah, the scene where this weird Jack Nicholson... Air conditioning. Voiced by Phil Hartman. Yes. Uh, who does another one of the voices in there, too? Yeah, he does the, the other lamp in the part store. Oh, the Peter Lorre lamp. Yeah. I, I just remember, I don't know, it, it it struck me in a strange way. As it, and it kind of struck me that way now. Like, I had a similar feeling watching it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as a kid, it, I guess I would put it more in, like, the scary range. Like, it wasn't a scene that I enjoyed watching it as a child. Sure, sure. Uh... Yeah, just because it seems so strange that, like, yeah, he gets so angry and, like, dies, yeah. essentially, because he gets so angry. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, was, it was a weird moment to watch that as a kid. Uh, I could see that, for sure. Um, and then, yeah, there was, there was maybe just a couple other instances of moments like that. Like, I think when they were getting sucked into the swamp, you know, a little right. while later... Uh, it's dark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the the movie itself is sort of dark. Like, it's not brightly lit or sunshiny or super vibrant in colors. It's sort of muted in its color scheme. Yeah. Like, it has, like, a darkness running through it. Uh, I mean, A, it just sort of deals with, like, abandonment, like, yeah. as it's, like, running premise. like And feeling worthless. <laughs> yeah, yeah. While watching it, I was like, it feels like it hits all the themes that all three of the Toy Story movies hit. Indeed. Uh, well, that's a, that's a very important point. Okay. Because it was actually going to be the first Pixar film for feature length. Oh, really? Yeah, John Lasseter was, uh, wanted to produce a feature length film using computer animation, and this was the story he wanted to do. Oh. Pitched it to Disney, and they passed, it off, they passed on it, thinking it would be too expensive. Yeah. And so it got shoved off to an independent company. Yeah. Um, and they just did it as a, as a 2D thing. Um, but yeah, it's, so yeah, it's totally Cause, yeah, cause, uh, appropriate. You know, yeah, there's ju- just parts of the elements of like being abandoned, which, you know, you see a couple times in the Toy Story movies. Right. Uh, that this hits. And, you know, Toy Story 2, it deals like they're being held captive by the toy collector. Uh... And then in Toy Story 1, there's Sid who, like, mutilates the toys. And the sort of uh, pawn shop owner in this is sort of a, a mishmash of those two. Right. Oh, God, I'm a mishmash! And even the swamp segment sort of remind me of uh, Toy Story 3. Oh. When, like, they're going into, like, the fire pits. Right, yeah. Because uh, they all go together. They yeah. all just say... I mean, they were kind of forced because they were tied to Kirby. But... Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's a good point. I didn't think of that. So I guess I should ask you, like, this is more of a nostalgia vehicle for you. Like, how does it hold up? Um, well, I found it to be a lot better viewing it than, than I thought it would be. I was okay. really worried coming into this, not having, viewing it as just like a film and trying not to think of it from a nostalgia standpoint. And I'll be honest, I couldn't put all of my nostalgia aside. There were definitely some moments... Especially the songs. I mean, when that first song happens, I, like, welled up and was singing along. Just, really? I mean, I, can, I couldn't help myself. I just love it. I just... 
I don't know. It's, it like hits a certain part of my pleasure brain, pleasure center in my brain, and I just am immediately huh. brought back to, to enjoying that. Okay. Um, but I think it holds up. I think it holds up pretty well. Uh, it deals with themes that are not always present in children's movies, and it does so in a way that doesn't talk down to children. Oh yeah, definitely not. Definitely not. Like I, I never really at any point thought the movie was like too kiddie. Yeah. Like, I never felt like. I mean, I like I watched it. And I'm, I'm like, okay, this is definitely like a children's movie. Like that's obvious. But there's so many other children's movies that just feel like, you know, there's an age maximum yeah. on this. Yeah. And I definitely did not feel that way with this one. And also the other way around with a lot of like 70s and early 80s animation features where it's like too dark for mm. kids. Like this, like this is a movie for adults, you know mm. what I mean? But like this one I feel like strikes that right tone of mm. like seri- dealing with serious issues but keeping it light enough that children can watch it and enjoy it yeah so i in 2016 i watched all the like primary like theatrically released disney feature-length films Mm -hmm. uh this one you know this was like still under like the disney umbrella but was like an independent release right yeah uh and the 80s were sort of a dark time for Disney. Mm-hmm. They, it's not that they were making bad movies necessarily, but they, you know, most of the movies from the 1980s aren't what they're known for. Right. And what struck me about this one is that really most of the, like, pre-Little Mermaid Disney movies mm-hmm. are mostly just cute animals doing cute things, but they're not plot-driven affairs. Mm-hmm. You know, they're mostly there because, you know, people... Animation was still new. Uh, and this reminded me, in, in Great Mouse Detective, which I think was from around the same year, as sort of a move away from just, like, cutesy animated creatures doing cutesy things. Like, this had a plot. Like, yeah. it moved forward. Uh, and even a tiny bit of character development. Yeah, know? yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yes, and so watching that kind of made me, I was like, this is sort of different from other animated features of the time because, yeah, this was this was more forward thinking in that respect. Like Disney, the people who wrote Great, Great Mouse Detective went on to write, you know, Little Mermaid and I think like The Lion King and like mm-hmm. a couple of, and like Princess and the Frog, which is one of their later good ones. Uh, but they definitely were more plot driven yeah. in, in their stories. Uh a lot of people who worked on The Brave Little Toaster worked on some of that Disney Renaissance stuff from the 90s. Yeah, actually. I was reading about that. One of them went on to direct The Lion King. He oh, was okay. A character designer or something like that. One okay. that's actually full on direct one of them. So, uh, but yeah, so it, it just, it, was, it seemed very progressive in, in that manner. Like, it, it knew that, you know, it couldn't just be a cute little toaster doing cute stuff. Like, it had to yeah. move forward. Yeah. Oh, that's another one. Uh, when, like, the toaster has, like, the bad dream. Right. Of like it's, it starts out as like a flashback, and then like the smoke like comes out and grabs the kid. Yeah. Uh, I definitely remember the scene where the toaster fell in the bathtub, and like that freaked me out as a kid. Yeah. I think it's it's supposed to be kind of intense, a little oh, yeah. too far. Yeah. And that was that was something I read where it's like because they weren't an actual Disney release, they were able to push those boundaries a little more. Yeah. Um, and kind of go places that Disney normally wouldn't let an animated feature go. Yeah, like, this, 
you know, it had that darkness to it, but, like, without, like, the Saturday morning cartoon feel to it. Like, yeah. It, it, it felt like a cinematic movie. It didn't feel like a episodic, you know, fantasy journey, necessarily. Yeah. There's actually some things... It's funny, reading reading the Wikipedia page on this after watching it um, made me realize there's still some things that I've missed in it. Uh, one of the One example, and I'd love to go... I mean, one of these days, I'm sure I'll watch it again and look at it through this lens, but it's like the, the five main characters are all, they're chosen as the appliances that they are based on personality types. Yeah. So like the blanket is a security blanket for the master, but is, uh, needs him, needs the master for his own security. Yeah. Um, like the lamp is, uh, bright, literally bright, but not mentally bright. Sure. Or like, and like Kirby, the vacuum holds everything in like a vacuum does, but then he's the one who has the mental breakdown. Yeah. So, and then the toaster is like reflective, so everybody sees themselves in her, and therefore, is that her, yeah, no, it's voiced by a woman. So is Bart Simpson. Uh, I think. Well, I, I think they're pretty careful not to use a lot of pronouns. Gender. Yeah, gendered yeah. pronouns, and um, yeah, she, it's, it, he wanted the director definitely wanted the toaster to be a woman. Oh yeah, which is which is interesting. So I did not project that. So yeah, it seems very like gender neutral. The toaster, and I, I'm pretty sure that's the one that they're most careful with, like not saying he, she. Okay. They really don't. The only time I could think of in the whole movie was when uh, one of my favorite lines actually is when the radio is defending when they're lost and the radio's kind of telling them, "Oh, well, I know where we're going," and then Lampy comes in and says, "Oh yeah." supposed to be the big shot navigator around here, Mr. Loudmouth? Mr. Big Loudmouth? And he says Mr. Oh, that's my point. <laughs> I also wanted to get that quote in there because I use that a lot. <laughs> okay. To be fair, though, was it really the toaster that was so brave in this? <laughs> I think they're all pretty brave. Yeah, I, I'll say at the end the toaster pulls it out, but mm-hmm. 90% of the movie, it seems like they're all on the same page. Yeah, they're all kind of putting it out there. Uh, I mean, yeah, Toasty does save the day. Yeah. Sacrifices herself. They all have, I was noticing, except for radio, have a moment of self-sacrifice when you think about it. Like, Kirby jumps off the cliff to go save everybody. Yeah. Um, Lampy charges the battery by getting electrocuted. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Um, Just before that, Blanket makes himself into a tent for yeah. everybody. Yeah. Not that that's like crazy, but he is supposed to be kind of a child or something. Yeah. But um, everybody except for radio really has kind of a moment of self-sacrifice for the group, which I think, you know, speaks to another theme of this movie in that um, they're, they're a team the whole way through. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, they, be, they come become a team, more of a team as they go along, like or a closer knit team, but they're all working together. The whole time. They're like, it's all for one or nothing. Sure. You know what I mean? They don't leave anybody behind. They're never... And it's never even brought... Like, comes into their mind that they would do that. You know? It's always we have to go together. Uh, One thing that... You know, when I watched the... When I started watching it, it, like, there wasn't really an emotional weight to it. But by the time you get to the end and you realize how old the master is... Yeah. by the way, I hate that term. <laughs> I know, I think it's it, weird, too. It makes me just it's think weird. of some DS-like relationship. <laughs> and, 
I, 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 it bothers me, but uh, especially like the way that Blanky like says it. It's the master. Yeah, that master. opening that opening sequence is real creepy. Uh, his his, fa- his eyes get all wide, and he's just like bobbing his head and floating down the staircase. It's creepy. I I just a they clean that house every day. Yeah, but it is filthy. Yeah, like I thought about that too. I'm like, if they clean this house every day, why is there so much dust fucking everywhere? <laughs> but also, what really sunk in watching it was that I didn't realize how long that they had been there. Yeah, like it must have been like ten years or something like that. Like they, yeah, he's a child when. Yeah, the master, like, the way that they always envision him, he's, you know, just a little kid. Mm-hmm. And then once they finally meet up with him, like, he's, you know, Going packing up for college. Yeah. You I know, that's another thing that in the Toy Story movies, in the first Toy Story, Andy's a kid. In the third one, it's, he's giving up his toys because he's moving out and going to college. Right. Uh, and even, like, the design of the master and Andy from Toy Story, they look pretty similar. They're both red redheads. Redheads, yeah. Uh, and not, uh... A uh, sexual object or a villain. In fact, uh, the master did all right for himself. He got a hot Nubian princess as a girlfriend. Yeah, I love Chris, by the way. She's, She's awesome. badass, yeah. <laughs> hey, these are hard to find. <laughs> oh, yeah, she's pulling off, like, not hubcaps, but... Uh... <laughs> Front grills. Yeah. Yeah, Chris is awesome. Wait a I, I did think, I was like, she is far too cool for me. <laughs> well, once he gets to college, they'll probably split apart and go their separate ways. But, but it's yeah. like, she was hot and she was cool and I was like... She had a convertible. Yeah. I'm like, man, lock, get that pregnant. <laughs> you gotta lock that down. Lock that down, yeah. <laughs> there's, just, there's a lot of quotes from this movie that I really love and I found out later after reading about this that a lot of it was improvised. Really? Yeah, so he got most of the voice cast um, from... He went to the Groundlings in Los oh, Angeles okay. and, and just, like, had a bunch of them That would audition. explain the Phil Hartman and the John Lovitz. Exactly. And actually the whole, or also Lampy, I think, and the Toaster were Groundlings. Okay. okay. So, um, and then there's others sprinkled throughout. Um, but, uh, yeah, he would have them read the written uh, line and then he'd be like, okay, just improvise for a while. Okay. On, on that, you know, same thing. And apparently... Most of the time he would use the improvised lines, but John Lovett specifically got cast on SNL after uh, being after this. He like basically did this movie, oh. and then he was cast in SNL. It's like, oh, I can't do a whole bunch of stuff. So that's actually not him singing when it's radio singing. Oh, okay. And also, he uh, most of his dialogue was all m- done in one marathon session, oh, okay. and he did it all by himself. So that's why there's a lot of times where it's just radio kind of going off, okay, and then they kind of react to it. And I, th- I was thinking, watching it this time, I was thinking, like, wow, John Lovitz really did a lot of fun punch-ups in this. But it's like, no, he was basically just covering all his bases. Yeah. Um, also, And then Kirby uh, is voiced by... Oh, I didn't write his name down. But he uh, is the same dude who sings the You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch song. Okay. As well as voiced Tony the Tiger for 40-some oh. years. Oh, yeah. I think he just passed away, actually. Yeah, 91. Okay. He's also, I don't know how much Disney stuff you know, but he he's the one who does the voice for the um, Haunted House at Disneyland. Oh, okay. He's famous. Look it up. You'll figure it out. <laughs> okay. Uh, but I love, one, another thing I noticed this time around is that this movie kind of has a, it's a big grab bag of movie devices, which is kind of cool, because you get 
you get the montage. Sure. You get a dream sequence. Yeah. You get a flashback. Yeah. You get musical numbers. Sure. You get like a Busby Berkeley situation with frogs and like. <laughs> yeah. It's really got. It's filmy, you know? It's trying yeah. to filmy. Wait, that's not right. Um, Just like my mouth every morning. <laughs> uh, they really kind of go all out on making this something special. Sure. Yeah, it's strange for an independent feature. You know, they got uh, Alfred Newman, who's done film scores, you know, a lot. But Van Dyke Parks wrote the the song songs. Right, yeah. And he produced the Beach Boys and more recently joined Anu Soma. Yeah, that's a big name. Yeah, it is a, a sizable talent to have on your little independent feature. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how they got him, but yeah. I'm glad they did. So, now, for me, personally, I feel that some of the songs are a little wee. <laughs> okay, I think the first one is great. Um, it's okay. <laughs> Continue. Uh, you don't like the, It's like setting up the whole thing. It's like the I Wish song of this uh, movie. It, it's pretty good. I The middle, whatever the, like... There's A, there's a big gap. Like, there's one song in the beginning... And I feel like we go like twenty minutes without a song, and then we yeah. have like five songs. They push them all at the end. You're right. You're right. Uh, but I like uh, as it goes on. There's like uh, I think it's the song when they finally get to the condo or the apartment, and there's yeah. all the modern yeah. devices. A what the fuck was that entertainment center? It was like <laughs> the real to real, but like the sound bars and like was as tall as I am. Yeah, I've never seen, maybe that was something that only happened in the 80s because I've never seen one of those in my life. I have no <laughs> idea what it is. But that song was like, uh, you know, Herbie Hancock Rocket, uh, <laughs> but with like with Blondie singing over it. <laughs> well, like, I can dig the song. Like, it's still not super great, but... <laughs> I was reading it this time as sort of a critique on consumerism a little bit. Well, definitely, definitely. <laughs> and I've never noticed that before somehow. Uh, but yeah, just the song itself, it was like one of those like uber-modern, like, you know, electronic at the time. Yeah. Uh, I was like, yeah, of course this just sounds like, you know, a Gary Newman song. <laughs> so, question. For you, which of these objects in real life did you hold this much value for? Like, if, if you, like, were moving and you're like, oh, I'm going to go grab this, you know, X, Y, Z from my parents' place and bring it with me. Mm -hmm. Like, would you really put this much, like, sentimental value on a vacuum? <laughs> yeah, he loved vacuum. <laughs> uh... Like, he, he goes back to the cottage to, like, find a radio, a toaster, a blanket, a vacuum, and a lamp. And he's, like, distraught <laughs> that they're not there anymore. And I'm, like, to me, I'm like, these are, like, the cheapest appliances that you can reasonably find. The blanket one is kind of gross, even, when you think about it. Don't they, like, mention that it's all stained and stuff like that yeah. at some point? Yeah, and he picks it, when he picks it up off the conveyor belt and saying, like, oh, this looks like my old blanket, he rubs it on yeah. his face. Sure. Yep. He sure does. Gross, master. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> one one thing I liked, I noticed this time, um, is that this movie's kind of not afraid to take moments and pauses a little bit. Okay. And specifically, I'm thinking of when they're when they're doing the tutti frutti thing, and the blanket stops because he hears a car. Mm -hmm. There's a 
like it's a kind of a long, slow pause, and they all just kind of stop and look at him, and then there's a moment of silence, and all you hear is him whisper quietly, and then they all freak out. And then again, that happens when everybody falls off the waterfall, and Kirby just like backs up slowly. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it takes, you see nothing but the waterfall for, it's a good like 10 seconds of nothing. of it or like after that we just follow Kirby as he goes back home I'm ashamed <laughs> just kidding but I mean in that moment you don't know what's going to happen if this is your first time viewing it you know do you think the moral of the story is just to stay put if they had just stayed there then the master would have come and get them <laughs> um well obviously <laughs> but I would counter that with the first lyrics from the first song Sung by Toaster, which are, life is but a journey on a road that's within. Your head says you should stay, but your heart says to begin. So you go, but you don't want to go. <laughs> was this a movie that you watched, like, ad nauseum as a kid? Like, did you just <clears throat> play, rewind, play, rewind? It was one, I, we had cable growing up, and so it was on the Disney Channel a lot, and whenever oh, okay. it was on, I would watch it. Okay. And then at some point, my parents bought me a VHS copy of it for uh-huh. Christmas, and I wore that thing out. I still have it. Oh, really? Yeah, and I was going to wa- use it to watch the, this time, but um, I got rid of all my cables that would connect it. Your I still cables? have my VHS. Yeah, I still have my VHS player. I just don't have... Can you bring that over here? I need a VHS player. Yeah, it's just sitting in a closet right now. Okay. Um, there's a Blue's Clues sticker on it, though. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I had a, a VCR, but I had to get rid of it a couple of years ago because I lost the remote for it, mm. and there was no tracking button oh, on no. the device itself. So the tracking got off, and there was nothing I could do to fix it. Mm. So everything's just like watching scrambled cable. Yeah. yeah, no good. Real fast, I just want to throw this on here because I think it's cool. Um, Brave Little Toaster is the first movie to um, be shown at Sundance. First animated movie. Okay. First animated movie to be shown at Sundance. That is cool. And it held, it, was, it held that title until um, Waking Life. Really? Yeah, so it was so that's like 12, 13 years. Yeah, I was going to say Waking Life is, I feel, around 2000 at least. Yeah. And they were planning, and there's like, this is kind of hearsay, but Jerry Reese, the director, said that somebody who was on the jury who decides, like, I don't know what the best film at Sundance award is called, but... Um, yeah. They're, they were they planned to award it to the Brave Little Toaster, but everyone kind of unanimously decided if we award this to an animated feature, no one will ever take us seriously again. Oh, really? So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of hearsay, I guess. But um, makes sense in the 80s. Like, yeah, I mean... It was still kind of new then, too, right? It was, Sundance was still kind of coming in. in yeah, Sundance, yeah, definitely. And then if you're working in a medium that is, you know, aimed exclusively at children... It's sort of hard to consider it art then. Sure. Even if it genuinely is. Sure. And I guess that's uh, that's why I like this movie, is that it's got... Um, it takes itself 
kind of seriously. Yeah. For for a children's film, you yeah. know, it's it's uh, it's got elements that kind of keep it in the in the children's zone, mm-hmm. but um, it treats them. It doesn't talk down, and it treats them with maturity. And uh, I don't know. There have there's some heavy themes in there. Yeah. Every now and again, I you know when I talk to like you know a cousin or something of mine, sometimes I forget that like oh yeah like. Even though they're like fourteen or fifteen or something like that, like they know stuff. Yeah. Like they know what's going on. Yeah. You know, like when I came out of the closet, like you know, it it wasn't like to everyone all at once. It was like you know one family member at a time, and it was like, oh, how is so and so going to react? How is so and so going to react? No one ever asked how like the grandkids were going to react. <laughs> everyone knew that they would not give a fuck. They don't like, care. Yeah. They do not care. Like they know what's up. You know. uh... They they would just say like this is Matt's boyfriend, you know. Older people would be like this is Matt's special friend, and <laughs> we'd all be like, really, <laughs> like <Fine>. really. <laughs> but yeah, for like the grandkids, it was like no, they they know the score. Yeah, they get it. Don't talk down to children. Yeah. They need to know about drugs, pornography, all adult issues, and starting at an early age. <laughs> I don't know. How you heard it here, folks. Ryan Whedon advocating exposing children to, to pornography, drugs. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, I shouldn't be allowed a public platform. <laughs> <laughs> You know, honestly, most of the things I wrote here are just, like, quotes from the movie that I really like. List them up, bucko. Um, you can't fool us. We love you. That's right. Like Miss Rose about love her husband. <laughs> I definitely remember the radio part of that quote. <laughs> uh, Have you ever read those uh, letters between Eleanor Roosevelt and Amelia Earhart? They no. are saucy. <laughs> Uh, elaborate, please. <laughs> uh, well, how do you think <laughs> Eleanor Roosevelt and the first female pilot <laughs> would write to one another? Um, it's like a Henry Miller novel. <laughs> Dear Amelia, <laughs> the White House is so boring these days. <laughs> I keep thinking... Of, of the letter you sent me telling me of your flights over Nebraska. <laughs> when will you take me on one of them? Franklin is calling. I must end this letter shortly. I like how your version of Eleanor Roosevelt writing a saucy letter is like a Jane Austen novel. I don't know. <laughs> your flights over Nebraska. Maybe I should have made her more uh, Catherine Hepburn style. Have you... <laughs> Ever even read a Henry Miller novel? I read Tropic of Cancer. They're erotic. <laughs> yeah, that's not giving Eleanor Roosevelt a lot of credit, <laughs> is it? <laughs> well, I'm curious what you want to watch next week. How are you going to follow this up? 
Well, I, I, you, you zigged, so I got a zag. Uh, are you familiar with the film Sorcerer? No. Uh, William Friedkin movie. Okay. Came out the same day as Star Wars. Oh. And bombed terribly. <laughs> Uh, and Poor it's guy. been, yeah, sort of overshadowed since. Like, it, you know, didn't really make the traction that it oughtn't to. Wait, that places it firmly in the, like, when he was on a high streak, what, isn't it? Yeah, he was still in top form. Uh, have you ever seen the movie Wages of Fear? No. Uh, it's a French film, uh, and it's pretty good. I like it. Uh, and the director of that, uh, Clouseau? personally like gave freaking his blessing in remaking it said that like you are the only director with the chops to do a remake justice wow i think i like sorcerer just a pinch more hmm. so i'm excited this is the first time we're doing a re- repeat director have we done another freaking no oh i don't know what i'm talking about <laughs> huh. <laughs> I was thinking because we did Exorcist three. I was we oh talk, we talked a we lot talked about, about it, but we haven't actually watched a freaking film yet. And we I also talked about the movie Guardian. That's right. But yeah, jeez, <laughs> don't give me a platform. <laughs> so yeah, sorcerer. Cool. All right, I'm excited. You should be. Let's plug our junk. All right. Uh, follow us on Twitter at X Rated Movies. Hmm. Uh, follow us or like our page and follow us on Facebook at Rated X Movies. Mm-hmm. Email us x.rated.movies at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And if you like what you hear, you know, rate, review, subscribe on That's iTunes. How... Uh, yeah, especially uh, rate and review. Uh, we would love it if you all did that. So. And uh, just tell us what you think. There might be some tape in it for you. Yeah. We're sending we're sending out tape now. That I don't care. We're doing it. <laughs> we're doing it. Uh thanks again. We'll we'll see you next week for William Friedkin's Sorcerer. Sorcerer. Thanks again. And just remember, life is but a journey on a road that's within. <laughs>